So some of you may have seen uh, Meg post this on her Facebook page. Um, last week, she stopped one of our daughters midway up the stairs, and which was heavy laden with many of their belongings. And Meg said to her, wait, my Christmas dream is that whenever you walk up the stairs and you see something that's yours, You'll take it up with you and put it away where it belongs. I was listening to this from the other room, and I, I, just, I just couldn't help it. Knowing how much Meg loves the musical Les Miserables, I, I just launched straight away into Fantine's song. I had a dream my life would be So different now from what it seemed Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. Well, she posted this entire interaction on Facebook, and I have thoroughly enjoyed reading the, uh, the comments section. One person said, Nobody is more full of false hope than a mom who places items on the stairs for her family members <laughs> to carry up. And another said, their eyes don't work on staircases, but hide your dark chocolate sea salt almonds in a remote corner of the cabinet. God opens their eyes and they see. So we all have dreams, right? Some are simple, like expecting one's children to be better at tidying, even when the guy who makes up one full half of their genetic makeup is not the best at that. But other dreams, other dreams hold much more significance. When those dreams die, well, who's to say what can happen? Our reading today is the Christmas story according to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, should you return this evening, you'll hear Luke's version, which centers Mary in the story. But Matthew invites us to consider this story from the perspective of Joseph. Joseph, who had a dream about living an ordinary life with an ordinary wife, having ordinary children. But Joseph was asked to put that dream away and accept another from God's hand. So before we read, I'll invite you to pray with me. Our waiting is nearly over, O oh God. You are so close, but are we ready? Prepare the way in our hearts, flatten every obstacle, level out the uneven ground, make the path straight so that we might receive from your living word that which makes for true life. Amen. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to, jo to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife and had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the way language works is always interesting to me on many levels, but today I'm thinking about the values that we assign to certain words. There are words that have positive connotations, and there are words that have negative connotations, and there are a lot of words that are just value neutral. Positive words, kind, beneficent, because it's Christmas, merry, right? Negative words, cruel, hostile, destructive. Value-neutral words, chair, lamp, photosynthesis, right? There's nothing about these words that register morally at all. They just are. But here's the thing, though. Words don't always remain in one category forever because the other thing about language is it's always changing. It evolves with use. The word I am about to say used to be a value-neutral word, but I would argue that it has more recently migrated into the negative category. That word is entitled, right? It used to be a simple expression of that which you are owed, more often used in a legal setting. More recently, however, the word entitled, right, it signifies a person who's arrogant, spoiled, narcissistic, possessed of a belief that the world owes them something just because they exist. Now, to be called entitled, well, it means that you're something of a jerk, right? So let's talk about Joseph. Let's talk about what he is legally entitled to in this story. And let's talk about whether he ends up being an entitled jerk. Let's talk about Deuteronomy chapter 22. Woo! (laughs) So were we among the Jewish audience that the Gospel of Matthew was originally written for, as soon as we hear that Mary is a virgin, our minds might immediately run to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Well, I I say that, but actually the book of Deuteronomy reads a little like the ancient version of the fine print you can find at the bottom of every contract. One gets the sense that this section of scripture sought to anticipate every single circumstance that could possibly arise when people do life together. And it ranges from the comically specific to the deeply disturbing. And chapter 22 has it all. Chapter 22 tells you what to do should you come upon a fallen bird's nest. 
Chapter 22 mandates that everyone absolutely must wear tassels on the four corners of their cloaks. Chapter 22 stipulates that every roof must have a parapet so that nobody falls off. And y'all, you know there's a story behind that one. But the bulk of the 22nd chapter is devoted to virgins. What happens when a husband fabricates some claim that his wife was not a virgin? How will he be punished? What happens if the claim is true? How will she be punished? And need I tell you that those two punishments are not at all equal or proportionate? It's the kind of chapter that makes me very uncomfortable if I'm honest with you, but it is crucial to understanding what is at stake in the Christmas story. When betrothed to Joseph, Mary is found to be pregnant, according to the letter of the law, the letter of the law, Joseph is entitled to gather the men of the community, drag Mary out of her father's house, and stone her to death. Verse 21 says, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. You know, every week after we read the scripture, we just did this. We say the word of the Lord and you, the people, respond, thanks be to God. And sometimes it's more difficult to say those words back, is it not? Well, praise God. Praise God that scripture is filled with rebels and resistors who understand that there's a difference between the letter of the law and the intention of God's heart. And I would invite us to consider Joseph as one of these rebels. Matthew takes great care to tell us that Joseph is a righteous man which could be a shorthand way of saying that Joseph knows the law, that he knows the violence that he is entitled to exact on Mary, that he is fully cognizant of his right to drag this poor girl out into the open and not just shame her, but end her. That is what he's entitled to. But Joseph is not an entitled jerk. So when Matthew describes him as a righteous man, I wonder, I wonder if it means to say that Joseph understands the heart of God, that God is pure grace and pure love, even when the law is not. That's important. Let's say it again. The heart of God is pure grace and pure love, even when the letter of the law is not. The Franciscan priest Richard Rohr writes a near-daily blog. One entry on the topic of scripture is titled, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. And Rohr writes, The Hebrew prophets had an uncanny ability to recognize when people were confusing partial knowledge with eternal truth. Scripture is invariably three steps forward and two steps backward. 
It gets the point and then loses it or doubts it. And that, the biblical text, mirrors our own human journey. And our job is to see where the three steps forward texts are heading. Invariably toward mercy, forgiveness, inclusion, nonviolence, and trust. Which then gives us the ability to recognize and guard against the two steps backward texts which are usually about vengeance on enemies, supposed divine wrath, law over grace. Richard Rohr recognizes that the Bible is messy and it pulls in every which direction. And cruel people can readily find cruel biblical texts to justify whatever it is they want to do. But the heart of scripture trudges in the direction of grace. And nowhere is that more evident than in the fullest revelation of God's character. In Jesus Christ, whose birth we will celebrate in a few short hours this evening. You know, I don't know if you saw it, but Christmas has been canceled this year in Bethlehem. And I can think of nothing more ironically sad than this. It's been two and a half months since Hamas went on an inexcusable rampage through Israeli communities, committing terrible crimes against humanity. And it's been two and a half months since Israel began its bombardment of Gaza in retaliation for those acts of terror. Now, many in the congregation attended this, but a few weeks back, we hosted Professor Jeff Spinner-Halev from UNC's political science department to discuss the dynamics of this war in our adult Sunday school class. And as he promised from his opening disclaimer, he was speaking to this as a political scientist, not as a person of faith. So he talked about what Israel is entitled to. How any sovereign nation, when attacked, is entitled to defend itself against any and every existential threat. And he talked about just war theory. Just war theory, however, requires that this be a proportionate response that focuses on neutralizing enemy combatants. And he explained that the just war theory does not entitle a person to launch indiscriminate attacks, especially against non-combatant civilian targets. Essentially, no nation or people, no matter how deep the injury, no matter how existential the threat, are entitled to a response that's pure revenge. That's what he shared with us. But perhaps the most poignant part of Dr. Jeff's presentation was when he got personal at the end and he talked about his aunt Paula how she would always squeeze him so hard every time she saw him just hold him so tight and he confessed that it took him longer than he cares to admit to realize why but she was a survivor of the holocaust well, she had a completely different family and they were all destroyed. And as I listened to him share this, this truly moving story, I thought what he was doing 
was offering an illustration of Israel's right to exist. Why it's important to the Jews of the world to have a homeland so they would never again have to live at the unpredictable whims of any nation. That's where I thought he was going. And that would have been an absolutely valid point to make. But Dr. Jeff surprised me. He surprised me because this man who has brothers living in Israel, who has nephews serving in the Israeli Defense Force, and so very much in harm's way, whose Aunt Paula squeezed him so tight with arms bearing a tattooed number, compliments of the Nazis, who squeezed him to the point that it hurt for no other reason than because he existed. But with clear emotion in his voice, Dr. Jeff turned his sense of empathy to the Palestinians. And he said, when I think about all that she lost, and then I see some in Israel who have not taken that lesson to heart, who have not applied the pain of our stories to another people, it breaks my heart. It was a beautiful moment to behold you can listen for yourself on the podcast on our website. You know, there are some things we may be entitled to in this life. But sometimes the more faithful thing to do is not exact the pound of flesh you are owed. And if I understand this text, I think that's what Joseph teaches us. He shows us how to take three steps forward, three steps in the direction of mercy, three steps in the direction of grace, without backsliding into violent entitlement. You know, Christmas may be canceled in Bethlehem this year, the festivals, the worship services, but Christmas is never canceled because Joseph is still teaching us how to take those three steps in the direction of God. The God who takes every step in our direction to close the distance between us.